Now this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to help us with a subject that we all struggle with at times. I know I have. I continue to struggle with it, and I'm sure some of you are struggling with it right now, and some of you will be struggling with it. If you're a Christian, uh, if you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you will struggle with this from time to time. And it's found in this uh, beautiful letter of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians. And some of you are here perhaps for the first time, and you haven't been in this series with us, but we're really uh, excited to be coming to the end of that, uh, that letter because it's been so full of rich truth. And some of uh, our favorite, very favorite verses that we have learned over the years are contained in this last chapter 4 of uh, Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And this message today has to do from Paul, it has to do with the subject of contentment. There are going to be times in our lives when we are not always going to feel so contented about uh, life events. For example, maybe you can relate to some of this. Um, Have you ever driven around a busy parking lot, maybe outside a a very popular store, maybe around Christmas time when everybody's shopping or whatever, or on a Saturday around Walmart parking lot, whatever, something like that, and you spot, you've been driving around looking for a spot to park, and you spot a great spot, and you're just trying to get around there to get there, and some... I started to say acne-faced teenager whizzes in there ahead of you or some, it's always, it doesn't matter who it is. It could be a young person, but they got acne, you know, or uh, it's a, uh, <laughs> or it's an elderly, it's an elderly lady and she shouldn't even be driving anymore. Or it's, uh, <laughs> or, uh, you know, you can make it up and it's like, and you, and you say that dirty dog, that, uh, and you, you have this sense of, of not feeling very contented, like I, I got ripped off, I got, I, I got cheated, uh, I, that was my space, and I, I had it uh, in my heart. And, or you're standing in a food line. We stood in food lines yesterday uh, here with the ladies, and uh, it was wonderful. I'm, my goodness, croissants, and, and if I start telling you all the things that they had, you'll want to get up and leave, go to lunch. I don't want you to do that, but uh, it was wonderful. And, you know, you've got your eye on this one dessert. And, and you're pretty sure it's your favorite. You know, it's like coconut cream pie. One of those deals like that. And, and just as you get up there, somebody takes the very last one that you had your heart set on. And you're feeling very discontented with all the rest of the desserts that are out there. Or, or you have a coworker who got the promotion that you deserved. And you happen to know that they're a sloucher sometimes. And that if the boss really knew, they would have given you the job. Or you've watched a friend take a vacation of a lifetime, and how long has it been since you even crossed the state line to go anywhere? And it just doesn't feel so happy and good inside. Or you sat on the bench, you sat on the bench feeling like you had the skills to be able to start, be in the starting lineup, but you had to sit on the bench while somebody else started ahead of you. Or you've known people who've been totally disregarding anything healthy to eat ever since you have known them, and they live well into their 90s, and you've got some kind of a problem disease, and you're only 30. And it's like, what is that all about? And I just don't feel like there's fairness or equity. or And we could go on and on and on, like the latest iPhone. I, I, you know, I, can I get the latest iPhone? I, I know, you just got one last month. What do you mean you want a new iPhone? Well, there's a new one out. Now, we could go on and on and on. We live in a culture that is highly discontented a lot of the times. 
So the Apostle Paul is giving us some thoughts about what God thinks when we show discontent in our lives. And some of the things we may be discontented about, I made light, and I, you know, we had a little fun with that, but some of the things that we can be discontented about, they're serious things. They're, they're things that really trouble our hearts, our spirits, they're relational things, and health things, and financial things, and they're, they're serious, so we make light of that. But what does God think when we show discontent? How does He want us to be thinking and living uh, with our lives? So let's take a look together at what the Lord wants on the subject of contentment because we're living in a time when feelings of discontent often rules our thoughts and it often rules our emotions, at least at times. And so all of us could stand uh, to learn from what Paul is teaching today, I believe. Philippians chapter 4, we'll read uh, 10, 10 through 13. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. So here we go. This letter to the church, and we could say this letter to the folks the believers, the attenders, the folks that are part of the church family called Lakeview Wesleyan Church. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you, the Philippians, have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Didn't I tell you there would be a famous little verse in there, one that we've all learned? Right there it is in Paul's letter to the Philippians. I can do all things through him. The him, of course, is Jesus Christ who strengthens me. That's assuming that you believe in Jesus. That's assuming that you have received Jesus into your heart and life as Savior and as Lord of your life. I can do, the people who have done that can do all things through Jesus who strengthens them. So the setting... Uh, for this letter, and we spoke about it last week a little bit, and if you've been in the series, you already know these things, but for the new folks, or folks who haven't been here in a while, the setting of Paul's writing this letter to the church is a Roman, probably a Roman halfway house, meaning it wasn't maximum security at this point. He was waiting a trial, chained to a Roman guard, and the trial he probably expected was he was either going to get a life sentence or he was going to lose his life. He would be executed. But here he is in this halfway house, chained to a guard, writing this letter to one of his favorite churches that he founded in Philippi. And one day, he receives, out of the clear blue, a gift from that church in Philippi. The church had, down through the years of his launching the gospel, the good news around the world, that church had often supported his ministry over those years. But apparently, they hadn't given him anything recently. No support recently. And then all of a sudden, this wonderful gift appears while he's stuck in this halfway house chained to the guard. Now, as I said, apparently the church had supported him financially when they had funds. That's probably what the deal was. They had, when they had funds available, they continued to, to, to find out wherever Paul was, and he was all over the globe. 
uh, at times, but they would find out where he was and they would make provision to send those funds to help him uh, in the ministry. And so there must have been some times in the life of the church at Philippi where the funds weren't so great. Uh, every church goes through those kinds of cycles from, from time to time. And we've understood right here at Lakeview what it's like to have plenty and to have times when it was tight and thin. And you go through those uh, scenarios. And the folks that you are trying to support, uh, and we have many that we support out of this church, many individual missionaries. We have uh, several organizations, Christian organizations that we support. In fact, in fact, the uh, if I've got my... Nah, I don't have my bag here. Anyway, uh, the 30 pieces of silver bags, those, are, those are, will be collected on Palm Sunday. And uh, we're encouraging everyone to, to be generous with those gifts. Why? Because they will go to the church benevolence fund that helps lots of people over the course of the year. Also to embrace grace, and, uh, which is a wonderful ministry to uh, mothers-to-be. And uh, also to Crisis uh, Pregnancy Center. And so, uh, our pregnancy care center, I can't remember, changed its name. But anyway, this wonderful ministries that this church uh, supports over the years. And uh, there are times when it's, it's hard to make all those commitments. And there's uh, times when we have uh, extra and we're able to uh, uh, punch up uh, some of their, uh, like a Christmas g- at times. So we like to give nice Christmas gifts and different things along that line. And so, this is what has been going on. Uh, this church at Philippi helping Paul advanced the gospel. Sometimes they gave, sometimes they couldn't give, and they apparently couldn't for a while, and now they just kicked a gift in. And that's apparently what's going on here. So he says that they revived their concern for him after some time. Now that word revived is kind of interesting in the Greek, because if you look it up, what it has to do with is it's a picture, picture a flowering plant that has come to the fall season of the year, uh, it has kind of gone through the, the beautiful cycle. It is now preparing for winter season. The flowers kind of wilt up and, the, and it kind of gathers in its, you know, its, its branches, so to speak, to hunker down for the winter. And the, this word revive has to do with like what we're going through right now. The springtime with the spring rains. And all of a sudden, these flowering, flowering plants are beginning to blossom and flower out again. And he, so that's what that revival is about. So you were able to revive your giving. For a while, you, you hunkered down uh, for the wintertime because uh, funds were maybe tight. Or maybe you, they were sending them some other place for a period of time. But you're reviving it now. And he says, this is wonderful. And then he takes, um, he takes the focus of the letter from what the church at Philippi, what its history was in terms of helping him advance the gospel, and he changes the focus to talking about himself and how he personally deals with the ups and downs. The church at Philippi had some ups and downs in their supporting his ministry. Paul talks now about ups and downs in the things that happened to him in his life of living life and serving the Lord. And that's why we want to talk about contentment and how that might help us here. Because we all will be going through ups and downs of changing circumstances over the course of our lives. And so he's going to talk about how he deals with that. And, uh, and it's going to be a, a wonderful thing because life has a way of changing circumstances on us from time to time. So he says in verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content 
in whatever circumstances I am. What does that mean? How does that help me? I walked through these doors today and I brought some circumstances about my life or somebody that I care about very much and and it's hard, it's tough, it's ugly. How is that going to help me this morning? Well, the word content is in the Greek, uh, if I can pronounce it properly, autarkes, and it literally means self-sufficient. He said, I have learned to be content. Well, we would say he's learned to become self-sufficient in one way of defining it. There's a scholarly work out there. Some of you have it in your libraries, and you would, rec- you would recognize it when I tell you the name of it. But it's called Word Studies in the New Testament. And it describes this word contentment. As I prepared for this message, and as I study and I look at different scholars and different things that people have learned and studied and whatever, I bring it to you. And it, and it says this about contentment, and I quote, Man should be sufficient to himself for all things, able by the power of his own will, to resist the shock of circumstances. The shock of circumstances, unquote. So, you sports fans, last night when the coach of the Auburn Tigers, with .7 seconds left in the game, I looked over at my wife and I said, I can't believe it, honey, Auburn is going to the Final Four. They just won this game. This is incredible. Wait a minute. Somebody was shooting a three-pointer and got fouled. And when you shoot a three-pointer, even if you don't make it, you get three tries at the foul line. And so that fella hit all three of those shots. And in the twinkling of an eye, the coach of the Auburn Tigers his whole life circumstance changed right before his eyes. And he had to walk up to the coach of Virginia and shake hands with that thought in mind. You talk about a change order right at the last minute. These things happen in our lives. And it, and it can cause such discontent and frustration and hurt and pain in our lives that we don't sometimes even know how to process these things. And so... Uh, I'm sure that wasn't easy for him to shake hands and do the honorable thing. I think they all did that. But because circumstances often change in life, Paul says that what the Lord wants from his disciples, what Jesus wants, make disciples, see, what Jesus wants from disciples of his is this, verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means. I need to know how to lose the game with only seven-tenths of a second left. I I need to know how to do that. I also need to know how to live if I had won the game and went to Monday night and even won that game. That's called prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So... Paul had times in the past when he, he probably uh, was invited to stay in the homes of some really blessed, wealthy, well-to-do people. If you remember the story when we studied uh, the book of Acts uh, and, and a little bit in the, the Philippian experience. It's a lady named Lydia, a seller of what? Purple. She did good. 
I, I believe she made good money in that day. And I believe that wherever she lived, wherever she stayed was a pretty high class place. And I'm pretty sure that she loved Jesus so much. And she loved Paul representing Jesus so much that Paul got to stay in a pretty fancy place when he was around Lydia and some of the other believers in the early days of Christianity uh, who were happened to be blessed and who had uh, means. And then there were the times of shipwreck and the times of imprisonment and beatings and prison food and prison coffee. Have you ever had prison coffee? I hope you haven't, unless you're a worker in the prison. <laughs> so they check some of these folks who raised their hand on that, but I sort of check their background. But I've had prison coffee. I worked in a prison-like setting before. Prison coffee is its awful. It's, it, it, it tastes like it was perked three days ago, and they heated it back up, and, 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 and the old coffee grounds dripped into it for, for a, a day and a half. It's just awful. But because of his love for Jesus, he processes these changing circumstances very differently than most people. I wonder if Paul is processing changing circumstances differently than how I process changing circumstances. I wonder if how Paul processes circumstances, changing circumstances, especially the hard ones, you know, being around the well-to-do who, who make life fun and easy and, and, and enjoyable for us, that's not so hard to take and process, unless, unless we let it go to our head. But the ugly things, the hard things, the things that really challenge us, I wonder if Paul is processing things differently than you would when the hard thing comes to you. I wonder if the Apostle Paul is thinking and processing changing circumstances in a different way than how I have been processing change in my life. I wonder about that. In fact, he says, he says to, uh, to uh, Timothy, young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6, listen, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. So this idea of contentment is a huge issue to Paul. And it's a huge issue to the Lord Jesus. And so how we think and how we let our attitudes go as a result of changing times and changing experiences that we go through, it seems to matter a lot to God. So in the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ, contentment is a means of gain from a spiritual standpoint. When we are able to show contentment, even when hard things come our way, Jesus interprets that as gain, spiritual gain, developing spiritual maturity uh, when we are showing contentment, even when things can get tough. I love the way one author put it. It goes like this. This is from the handbook of Bible application. Listen to this. Contentment, this will give us a key. This will give us a little key as to how, how Paul is doing this. That's what I want to know. I'm studying this letter. I want to know how is this going to help me when I don't get picked to start on the ball team. I want to know how this is going to help me if the first place I, uh, that I apply to a college turns me down and doesn't, says that I can't, I can't come. I want to know when I apply for a job and somebody else got the job, I want to know how Paul would handle that because he seems to know something that I don't know or I haven't gotten worked out. So back to the quote, contentment 
grows out of having God's perspective on life. Paul was content because he could see life from God's point of view. He focused on what he was supposed to do, not what he felt he should have. Let me repeat that again. He focused on what he was supposed to do for Jesus and didn't focus as much on what he felt he should have. Paul had, in fact, in fact, there's a, uh, I think uh, John the Baptist gave, gave some counsel and, and, he, and, he, and he told the Roman guards, he said, be satisfied with your wages. Be satisfied with your wages. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but all of us who are still working or whatever said, could you use a raise and are you satisfied with what you're making right now? Don't raise your hand, but it's a good chance we might say, well, I could use a little more, you know, a little. Okay, so do we let that go over into discontent or is that just a part of life that we have to learn to roll with the punches? What? I don't know. Let's, let's think about it some more. Back to the quote. It's what he was supposed to do, not on what he felt he should have. Paul had his priorities straight and was grateful for everything God had given him. He had detached, detached, detached himself from non-essentials so that he could concentrate on the eternal. He was separating himself in his mind. Remember we talked about right thinking and then right obedience. And so Paul has... Paul has figured a way to, to, uh, to separate out those things that are not essential when it comes to eternal life and concentrate on the things that are eternal. I'll tell you something that's eternal. It's your, t- your tithe is eternal. You, may, you and I may not want to think about our giving, but that's an eternal issue with God. And, and it's, it, he, did, he doesn't say, hey, well, here's the amount you have. I know some denominations and churches, they go around and they tell people what they think you should give each year. It doesn't matter what people think we should give. What matters is God says out of a generous heart, he said, keep your old money if you don't want to bring it in. But if you want to heap up things on the other side of this life, that God pays attention to, he said, you might want to take a look at your attitude, a look at your W-2, a look at your checkbook, a look at all the... That's just an example of right thinking that results in right obedience toward things that have eternal value. Unquote now. You might be thinking, well, I, I don't know how a person can consistently do something like that, especially... When the circumstances are ugly, ugly circumstances. And the answer to that is we can't. We cannot consistently, self-sufficiently, like the Stoics tried to do in the old Greek culture. They tried to say, look, uh, I, 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 we're going to develop a philosophy about living in this world, the Stoics. And they would, they would say... We, we are training our minds to not care about things so that we don't get wrapped up in whatever's going on in this world. So we'll just decide not to care about things. Oh, your dog died? I don't care. Oh, your sister got sick and had to go to the hospital and get, a, get an operation? I don't care. 
And it doesn't matter. You did get that job that you, that you were applying for. I don't care. That's all that self-sufficient stuff. That doesn't work. That doesn't hold over the long period of time. So, so the answer is we can't handle changing circumstances that take us into the valley and be content by ourselves. That's why he said in verse 13, the reason I can do this is because it's through Jesus who strengthens me. I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. So if you're out there and you've never looked to Jesus as the one who who can help you with those changing circumstances that happen in life, and you don't have access to Jesus Christ and His power and His love and His protection and and His authority over this world, then you you are not going to make it. You won't survive consistently. Now, translated, that verse means we can't do it in a self-sufficient approach, but we can do it if we lean into Jesus. And Paul had obviously learned to process his life circumstances. Verse 11, this is a key. Learning to trust in Jesus. He said, I have learned. See, Paul didn't come out of the womb that way. Paul, Paul was highly educated. All of his education did not bring him to steadfast contentment. That didn't teach him that. He said, I, until I learned to lean into Jesus, did I learn how to find contentment in the high places and the low places of life. And so he says to us this morning that he has learned that and that the Philippian Christians should watch his example and follow his teachings. What he's saying is, I got this one. I'm not perfect, but I learned this. Now I'm going to pass it on to you. So that you too, if you haven't learned this yet, can learn this. And he said that in Philippians 4 9. Last week we talked about it. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul, practice these things. Repeat these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Not sometimes, not most times, but will be with you with his peace, even in changing circumstances. So changing circumstances are going to follow us all the days of our lives. And Paul wants us to know how to handle the ups and downs of those changing times. So last week, uh, we learned things by repetition. That's what we saw. Paul learned it. And I am learning that myself. And as I am learning that better and better as I go through life, uh, I want to be able to pass on those things that the Holy Spirit is teaching me in terms of how to process changing circumstances and still hold to contentment with my life. So I want to close this morning by giving you a personal illustration, if I may. Somewhere between 1999 and the year 2000, somewhere in there, the circumstances in our family changed. Changing circumstances. I needed to explain to our church family in Iowa 
that our 13-year-old son had a bone cancer and that we were all in a tough fight. And I wanted the church to know about it. I wanted the church to hopefully pray uh, for him and for us. And I wanted the church to understand that uh, we're not the only ones in life that have uh, people in our uh, loved ones, in our families that, that are sick and have difficulties. We're not the only ones, but we are one of those. And, uh, and so uh, please understand that's going on in our lives. Well, David went to heaven in 2001, and our family was changed forever. But our love for Christ only grew deeper. Isn't that strange? Isn't that a strange thing? How does that happen? And then about 13 years ago, circumstances in our family changed again. When I stood before another church family, uh, this was a, a, the, the one in Iowa was a pretty large family, and that meant lots of prayers. And uh, this, this time I, I had to stand before another church family, and it was even larger, and that was even more prayers to pray uh, for the change that was happening in our lives. And I stood before that church family in Ohio, and I shared that I had been diagnosed with prostate cancer, and that I was in for a tough fight. And if they'd uh, care to pray... Uh, we would certainly receive and, and appreciate that. The Lord was gracious, and I've been cancer-free for 13 years now. And our praise the Lord for that. And our love for God, once again, has only grown deeper as a result. It's amazing. How does that happen? So today, uh, just as Paul said to look at his life and listen to his teaching... Circumstances have changed once again in the McClellan family. And I find myself having to stand in front of another church family right here in Marion and share that I have colon cancer. Now, that's a big change in my life. And uh, it's new. Uh, It's new to us. And uh, About five months ago, I started noticing some discomfort and pain in my abdomen and went to the doctor, and he doctored me for a while, thinking it was something that medication could help. Um, We'd gone through a series, I think I'd had a sinus infection or so, and he gave some antibiotic, and he felt like he probably killed off all the good bacteria that you know you need in your bowel area to be able to live right. And so uh, he thought through some medication that uh, that would correct Uh, that situation. And so I took 30 days as he asked, and there was no change. We eventually went for a test, and that test revealed a significant blockage that they thought was probably the result of radiation damage from the prostate cancer I had years ago. Anytime you have radiation, there's potential damage to soft tissue, And he believed, he said, I've seen this quite often with folks that have had this kind of surgery that you had a long time ago. And he said, oftentimes it it will start to grow and and create a problem and a blockage. And uh, he said, I'm just 99% sure that's what this is. But wisely, he couldn't complete the test that I went for. He got started, but the blockage stopped. So he really doesn't know, he doesn't know much beyond what just that little bit he was able to see. So he uh, took a biopsy. 
And uh, in the middle of a finance committee meeting with our finance folks about two weeks ago on a Wednesday, uh, he finally called me back with the results of the, the pathologist report. And I thought it was going to be just as I thought, radiation damage. We're going to go in there, get that blockage out of there, and you're going to be good as new as soon as you recover and all is well. But that's not what he said. I had to go back into that finance committee meeting having heard you have cancer. I was wrong. You have cancer. And it's not just a cancer. It's not a typical, you know, there's no good cancer. But there are some cancers that respond better than others to what the doctors prescribe. But this one is a rare cancer. And it is a highly aggressive cancer. I know because I looked it up. And I know people, I have connections, and I know some people who looked it up along with me. And they kind of told me the same things, that this is a bad one. This is a bad one. And what's even worse, by the time it's diagnosed, most of the time it's already got out of the gate and metastasized. And so I won't bore you with survival rates, but it's not really very good. I have one more CT scan to complete on Tuesday morning, this Tuesday morning. And then Cynthia and I will meet with our doctor for his analysis of of what should be done. So here's the conclusion. I'm done with that part of it. I can't tell you any more about it because we are living in a world of mystery. We don't know anymore other than what I just told you. And I wanted you to know because I could use your prayers. I really could, our family. I thought I was doing pretty good during all the worship time until my, one of my granddaughters uh, who's at Grand Canyon University out in Phoenix uh, texted me right in the middle of our worship time and said, I love you, Papa. She, of course, she knows. And I said, that started to kind of get to me. I got a little teary there for a minute. But I also know that the blockage that started all of this, it has to be taken care of. You can't have a blockage and just and then have have that all blocked off and live. You, you got to be able you got to be able to have an op, operable bowel, and so that has caused me quite a bit of of um, discomfort at times and embarrassment at times and frustration with my day to day living. I, I I think that I've been able to stay on duty and do well. Uh, in that with the Lord's help, but it's important for you to know that that's going on because it disrupts my day-to-day routines to some degree. So as soon as possible, I I will likely have a surgery to deal with that blockage. And I didn't want you to hear about that and not have had some kind of warning about that because I, I want that blockage out of there as fast as I can get it out of there. Okay, I really do. So the first opening at an operating room with the right doctor, and I'm going for it. And so if, if, if they say Friday at midnight, I'm going. Okay, because that has to happen even if I have to, you know, continue to deal with this other more significant issue, really. Now, I would have preferred to have had more information. I will probably, we will have more information Thursday and let me just say, I apologize for those of you who are here for the first time. We don't all, I, listen, I didn't want to do this this morning. You have no idea 
how bad I did not want to talk about me this morning. That is, that is not comfortable for me. Uh, and I wanted to burn rubber out of the parking lot. I just want to, you know, want to, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like doing that. I, I'm, I'm kind of private when it comes to those things, and I just kind of hunker down or whatever. But I couldn't do that to you. I felt like it was not proper to do that. But if I waited till Thursday of this week coming to find out more information so I could tell you more, I would have had to tell you about it on Palm Sunday or Easter, and I'm not doing that. Uh, it's not about me. Amen? Who's it about on Palm Sunday and Easter? Come on, shout it out. It's about Jesus, and he's the one that gets the credit for all, and, you know, and, and the glory, so I'm not going to do that. But if I wait till after Easter to talk about it, I may already have been in the hospital three week, two weeks or three weeks or whatever. So I was caught between the proverbial rock and a hard place. I wasn't really sure what to do. So I felt the Lord say, just talk to the folks today and get it done. So the circumstances of our lives have suddenly changed. But our love for Christ only grows deeper. How does that happen? See, how does that happen? It's a wonderful thing to find that kind of peace and contentment, even in the midst of changing circumstances. Listen, I'm not the only one who has circumstances change like that. You've had some. Some of you are dealing with changing circumstances. Some of you, your life partner has gone to be with Jesus and it changed your circumstances and all kinds of things. We could all come across this platform and talk about how your life has been affected. This is about me. This is about living life and living as a disciple. And this same contentment, contentment that Paul has learned, he had to learn it. I'm having to learn. Now it's my third time to, to think on this. So, so I'm not a rookie. I'm not, I don't know everything, but I'm not a rookie about this. And so you might want to think about it a little bit. Think about some of the things that I've shared. Because we've got some folks here in this very audience who have walked through some of these same shoes. And God is still good after a terrible, terrible thing. Can I get an amen? Amen, Mike, and, and others of you. And so, so don't worry about that. You see, our contentment is not in material things. Our contentment is not in the clothes that we wear, the food that we eat. And I am hungry because I'm getting ready for a test and I can't eat till Tuesday. So I'm hungry. I'm, hu- I'm hungrier than you are right now wanting to go to lunch. I promise you, I am hungrier. But I can't do anything about it. Because I have a great nurse helping me stay, stay on course. I do. And she's marvelous. But it's not about the clothes we wear, the money we make, the food we eat, the places we go, or even the things that we do. Or even, let me say this, or even how long we live. It is not about those things, Paul says. Our contentment rests in the relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. His providence, God's providence that, that he is able to take all of these things happening in Washington, D.C., all of the politics that's going on in our country, all of the worldwide changes that are happening all the time, with people, with countries that have nuclear capability and those that have strong economies and those, all, everything in between, our contentment rests in the providence of God that He is weaving all of life's events in such a way that they are moving toward His perfect pleasure 
in the end. Can I get an amen? amen? That's what I believe in. That's what Paul believed in. That's what most of you hopefully believe in. And that's what some of you need to start believing in that. Because it pleases the Lord. It will give you peace. And you will rest in a power that the only power that can really change things. So, whatever the mystery unveils at any given time in our lives, it only matters in the context of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is why Paul tells us that the way he can live like this is because of Jesus. I, Paul, I, Tim, I, any one of you, can do all things regardless of changing circumstances, through Christ who strengthens us. That's how it works. Okay. So one day I was talking with, and I'm closed, I'm I'm finished. One day I was talking with our son David as he was fighting the disease. And I said, David, has the Lord encouraged you with a favorite Bible verse while you've been studying and meditating and fighting this disease? And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, I'll give it to you. He said, it's a promise that God gave me for my life. And here's the verse, Psalm 57, 1. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction, or some translations say, until the storm passes by. So we've learned this in our study of chapter 4. We pray when we have a changing circumstance that's tough. We first of all pray and talk to God. Then we ask God for a plan. That may include a doctor. That may include some chemo. That may include a surgery. That may, if it's a physical thing. That may include going to a financial planner. That may include going to a pastor or a marriage counselor or someone in a relational difficulty. We ask God for a plan. And then we thank Him for the plan. And we ask Him to help us in that plan. So that we know that He will do what only He can do in that plan. There's some things I can do. I can can fast. And I can take a CT scan. And I can do everything I can do to help the doctor know something more. But there's only God who can fix my problem. Amen? That's the truth. Ultimately, that's how it works. And so we rest in Jesus, his love, and his care. And so one of the the most beautiful verses, and I've used it over the course of my ministry for years and years and years, and it's one that you've heard probably, and it's one that many of you have memorized, and I close with this thought. And it's, we haven't come to it yet, but it's Philippians 4.19. It says, my God. Paul would say this, my God shall supply all your needs by his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so I would ask you in closing, this isn't about me. Do you know him? Do you know him? Because he is the answer to every changing circumstance that can happen in your life and mine. He's the answer. Amen? If you don't know him, 
You need to get up out of your seat and come up here and talk to one of us and let us share with you how you can know Jesus Christ. You need to make an appointment and come to talk to one of us. Grab somebody and say, you go to this church, don't you? Can you tell me how I can know Jesus? Because pastor convinced me. He convinced me. I think I do need him because I can't be self-sufficient and on my own. I do need him. And so let us know how we can help you with that. Now to close our service, I'm going to ask our current vice chair of the board gave such a wonderful meditation, Dr. Jeff Boyce, if he would come and just lead us in a prayer. I ask him not to call everybody up here, and here's why. I know you'd come up here and pray around us and lay hands on us. I know you'd do that, but I don't want you leaving with thoughts about me or us. I want you leaving with thoughts about Jesus and his all-sufficiency. So, Jeff, come. Would you say a prayer for us as we close? And if you want to throw Cynthia and I and our family in the mix a little bit, uh, we'd let you. That would be great. And may God bless you. Thank you for your, your prayers that I'm sure will be coming forward. And we will try our best to try to keep you posted as to the new things that we are learning as uh, we get that information. And Jeff, thank you. I know when I shared with you, you were so gracious and so kind. And I just personally want to thank you for the support that you've given. God bless. If you've been paying attention to what Pastor has been preaching about for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that he's been preaching for as much as own, his, his own benefit as he has for us. And that's his heart, to share what God has put on him, the words that God has put into his heart. He has asked that we as a church pray. And I would ask that that uh, prayer is not just here in this building, but that prayer is every day. It's part of our life. that We live a life of prayer devoted to Christ. And we remember Pastor and Cynthia as they're going through this change of life. God is in control. And God can do all things. And so we put our faith and our trust in him. If you would, please stand and join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you have assured us that through you all things are possible and that through you we can be content whatever life brings. We pray that you will move in a powerful way, that your hand will be upon Pastor and Cynthia as they are going through this change of their life, that you'll be with their physicians, that you'll be with all those they're consulting with. Father, we pray for healing. We claim this healing in the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that your spirit will reign in victory, not just in this situation, but in each and every one of our lives. We know that you want us to live lives that are victorious over sin, and that we have a message that Pastor has communicated to us week after week, that the pains and sufferings of this world can only be solved by a relationship with your Son, Lord, give us strength in the days ahead to be faithful to the mission that you've called to us. And we will put our faith and trust in you that your spirit 
will provide our very need. We love you. We praise you. We lift your name on high. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.